If you have your copy of Scripture, turn to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. An easy way to find that is go to Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's the next book after that. We've been talking a lot about hope and suffering. Finding hope in suffering. Is there meaning in our suffering? Is there purpose in our suffering? And what we're going to deal with today, we've hit the direct middle of the book of Lamentations. And the middle of the book is actually three times longer than any other chapter. And one of the things that you need to see today, the reason it's three times longer is it takes him three times longer to talk about God's good, God's goodness, God's grace, and God's faithfulness in his life than the stuff that he's dealing with. It's important. Perspective changes everything. Our perspective on our suffering, our perspective on our circumstances, our perspective on what is going on in our life really has bearing on everything. I saw that this Friday. We did the teacher's luncheon and I had the opportunity to go to convocation with teachers and we got to sit, actually had to sit outside in the rain. And I got wet. Not as wet as the teachers did. I wasn't out there as long as they were. I was only out there about an hour and a half, but it changed my perspective on the day. I was wet and I was mad. And, and the rest of the day, I just kind of had a foul attitude because I was wet, you know. But, but it didn't stop us from serving the teachers. We, we have to understand that our perspective changes everything about how we deal with suffering. There's a great quote that I want to throw up if they put it up on the screen for me comes from Corey Ten Boom, and she says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. It's all about perspective. If we look to the world to find answers for our pain and suffering, we're going to find distress in our life because the world has no answers. In fact, what will happen is we'll get so depressed, we'll get so burnt out, we'll become bitter because there's nothing for us out there. It's about perspective. If we look inside of ourselves to find the answer and the strength and the power to deal with our circumstances, we're going to be depressed. Why? Because we don't have what we need to deal with what's going on in our life. But if we look to God, we will find the rest that we've been looking for. Jeremiah takes a pause in the middle of his prayers to pray one of the most special and wonderful prayers, Lamentations chapter three. It's gonna start off bad. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, it's gonna start off really bad. He's gonna give you a laundry list of things that are happening in his life that are awful. And then something changes. And here's what changes, his perspective. First 18 verses of this chapter, he is fixated on the storm in his life. And that fixation begins to change and he begins to fixate on God who is in control of all things. And when that fixation begins to change and he fixates his eyes on God, he says this, I have hope. Here's what I want to tell you today. I want you to really think about the perspective that you have in your life. Do you look to the world for answers? Do you look inside yourself for strength and power? Are you looking to God to find the answers that you need? What are you fixating on? Let's listen 
as Jeremiah gives us the antidote to finding hope and peace and joy and comfort and forgiveness and happiness, no matter what circumstances that we may face. Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in the darkness and not in the light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. He's walled me in so that I cannot go out. He's made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He's made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He's turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and he set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I've become a laughing stock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He's made me drink drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He's made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. You ever felt that way? One of the things that I love about Jeremiah is he's being honest and real and he's just sharing his heart, how he feels. And here's what he's saying. I feel like God has really done a number on me. And the reason that he feels that way is that he's fixated on the storm in his life. And how could he not be? He's sitting in the rubble of what used to be his nation. He's sitting in the rubble of what used to be the place that he would go to worship God and pray to God and sacrifice to God. He's sitting in the rubble of all of his friends and family. They're now gone. They're in a foreign country as slaves. And he's about to go to Egypt himself in slavery. Listen, it's not hard to hear the things that he says. It's not hard to understand why he feels the way that he does. Because he's fixated on the storm in his life. Here's what he says. All I can see is destruction and pain. I don't know if you've ever experienced a storm like that in your life. I have. And and I know exactly how he feels. You, You can't see anything but the storm and you can't see anything but what it's destroyed. You can't feel anything but the pain that you're experiencing. Listen, I've been through tornadoes. I've been through hurricanes and they do not compare to the storm that can come into your life because of circumstances. Just the vortex of thoughts and feelings and pain so he says, I just don't see anything good. Here's some things that he says. He says, I feel all alone in my pain and struggle. Over and over he says, I, I've done this. I've experienced this. I'm going through this. Now here's the reality. Was he going through that? Yes. Was he all alone? No. Hundreds of thousands of people are experiencing the exact same thing that he is. But isn't it funny how our pain works, right? 
It doesn't matter if everybody's going through the same thing. Here's what we tell ourselves. We are all alone. In fact, it is the greatest lie that the enemy ever tells us. You are all alone. Nobody understands your pain. Nobody's going through what you're going through. And if you try to share with someone what you're going through, they're not going to understand and they're not going to care. And that's a lie. Because he's fixated on the storm, he feels all alone. Because he's fixated on the storm, he feels, he says, I feel like I have a target painted on my back. You ever felt that way? That it just seems like that stuff just keeps happening in your life and happening in your life and happening in your life and you're looking around at other people and they don't seem to have the same things going on in their life. So what you begin to think is maybe God's painted a target on your back and it's your day and it's your time and this is just the way that it goes. This is the way that the dice have fallen, the cards have been played. It's just, you got a target. That's how he felt. Look at verse 12. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He says, I feel like I'm trapped and I can't get out of this nightmare. I feel like I'm trapped. I can't get out of this nightmare. I feel like I'm getting my teeth kicked in every day. I love the visuals that he gives us. He says, he has broken my teeth, verse 16, with gravel. He's made me to cower in the dust. He's humiliated me. All the people are mocking me and singing bad songs about me. He says, I feel like I'm getting my teeth kicked in every day. I'm being humiliated. I'm being destroyed. All of these things. And he closes in verse 17 with this. My soul's been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. I feel like I'll never be happy or at peace again. I feel like I'll never be happy or at peace again. Maybe you feel exactly that right now. Maybe some of these statements, you've been like, how, how did you know? How does he know that this is how I feel? How does he know that this is going on in my life? I don't. The Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit has allowed this to be written in the Bible so that we understand that he understands what's going on in our life. But here's the thing that we need to hear. It's perspective. Jeremiah's perspective in this moment was very skewed because he was fixated on the storm in his life. And as he was fixated on the storm in his life, the storm became, became this insurmountable, overpowering thing that he had no control over and no power to do anything about. And he began to listen to his feelings. Now we're going to talk about this in just a second, but I want to say this now. Feelings are good. God created feelings. God has feelings himself. Feelings are good. But what they're not good at is giving an accurate representation of the truth. Our feelings are motivated by our circumstances. And so in the circumstances that Jeremiah found himself, his feelings began to take control and say, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like 
I'll never be happy again. I'll never have peace. I feel like that I have a target painted on my back. I feel like I'm getting my teeth kicked in. I feel like I'm trapped. But is that reality? Well, let's look and see. Verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's mercy never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach for the Lord will not reject forever. If he causes grief, he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. He does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit of these things the Lord does not approve. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and evil go forth? Should not, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Let us examine and probe our ways and return to the Lord. We lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and you pursue us. You've slain and not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us mere offscouring and refuse in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. My eyes bring pain to my soul because of the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They have silenced me in the pit and placed a stone on me. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord. Out of the lowest pit, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Oh, Lord, you have pleaded my case. You have redeemed my life. Oh, Lord, you have seen my oppression. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, oh, Lord, all their schemes against me. The lips of my assailants and their whispering are against me all day long. Looking on their sitting and on their rising, I am, I am mocking their song. You will recompense them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them hardness of heart. You cur your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens, O Lord. Jeremiah had a moment where he began to stop fixating on the storm. And he said, you know what, I can, I can sit, I can sit and remember the wormwood, I can sit and remember my affliction, I can sit and remember my bitterness, but what does that do? It's a great question. 
What does it do to sit and only fixate on your pain? Only fixate on your feelings? Only fixate on your circumstances? Let me tell you what it does. Nothing. It does nothing but allow you to stay beaten, broken, and distressed. So what he says, surely my soul remembers all these things and it's bowed down inside me. Verse 21, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And what he begins to call to mind is time after time and way after way and thing after thing that God has done for him and God has done through him and God has done in him. And his prayer begins to change. There's a sense of hope and joy and expectation. So here's what we need to see. Instead of fixating on the storm, our eyes need to be fixated on God. We need to fixate our eyes on God and call to mind who he is and what he does, what he's done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he will do in the future. He says, I call these things to mind and I have hope. Brennan Manning is a pastor in Britain. He's written a bunch of wonderful books. But there's a line for me that is amazing that he says, and he says, that you will trust God to the degree that you believe that he loves you. You will trust God to the degree that you believe that you are loved by him. Here's the problem. It's perspective. We have our flesh, we have our enemy, we have our inner moron whispering in our ear telling us that God doesn't love us, that God's left us alone, that God doesn't care about what's happening. And so what happens, our trust in God begins to diminish because we don't believe that God actually loves us. And as Jeremiah began to rehearse all the things that God has done for him, hope began to stir, joy began to stir. And so I want to give you those things. These are just a few things that Jeremiah talks about. Here's what he says. One of the first things that we have to do is we have to take captive our thoughts and our emotions. The Bible talks about that, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, that we are to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And that's what Jeremiah does here. We talked about a minute ago that emotions are good, but they're not always a good indicator of the truth or what's actually happening in our life. And so he begins to say to himself, hold up. Yeah, I feel all these things, but are they really true? This is something that I've been learning. This is something that we're trying to teach our kids. This is something I share in counseling all the time, that we have to be able to take captive, take control of what's going on in our head and what's going on in our heart. And the way that we do that is not by exerting our control over it. The way we do that is by applying the word of God to it. And here's the thing I need you to hear. Taking captive your thoughts and feelings is not a one-time event. It is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day battle. I would love to tell you that things that I have taken captive before are gone, but they're not. They come back. And times when I'm by myself and times when things are quiet and times when I'm kind of looking at who I am and looking inward to try to find hope and healing and I find none. 
All the accusations, all the shame, all the fear, all the stuff comes back and then I have to fight again with the truth. I have to say to myself and I have to say to my flesh and I have to say to my enemy and to my inner moron, I'm not the man that you've called. I'm not the man that you say that I am. I'm not the person who's done those things. I have been redeemed. And listen to what Jeremiah says. God's mercy never ceases and his compassion for us never fails there is never a moment in your life or in my life or in jeremiah's life or the people of israel or anybody else where god's mercy runs out never a moment there's never a moment when god stop has stop having compassion on our lives never a moment and so here's what happens. And we begin to, to count the ways that God works in our life. And we count the things of who he is and what he does. We can say, listen, it doesn't matter what we're facing. God's mercy never runs out. And his compassion never fails. That should give us hope. He says, his mercy, his grace, his love, and his forgiveness are new every morning. Listen, that should give you hope. God does not expect for you to face tomorrow's problems with today's grace. God doesn't expect you to face tomorrow's trouble with today's forgiveness. God doesn't expect you to face tomorrow's hurt with today's comfort. Every morning when you wake up, God has a complete supply of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and hope and healing. And it's for you to use all day long. And guess what? There's more of that than trouble in your life. There's more of that than pain in your life. There's more of that than fear in your life. And when you go to bed at night and you think, I don't know what I'm gonna do in the morning, guess what? When you wake up tomorrow morning, it's there for you ready to be used again. You call it to mind and you have hope. His faithfulness to his promises to us, and he will never leave us. God is faithful to the promises that he makes to us, and he will never leave us. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how far we stray. It doesn't matter all the ways that we blow up our life. The people of Israel had done really well at that. 800 years of that. And yes, God allowed consequences, and yes, God allowed trouble, but he did not renege on his promise. He stayed faithful. Because his promise was, listen, there's going to be consequences when you disobey, but I'm going to be on the other side of your consequences, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to bring you home, and I'm going to bless you. I will never leave you. I don't care what is going on in your life. I don't care what you are facing today. Here's what you need to hear. God will never break a promise that he's made to you. And he will never leave you. Can you feel the momentum begin to build? Can you, can you feel the hope begin to rise? Do you, do you sense the change in the prayer of Jeremiah? I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness and deeds never cease. His compassions never fail. They are, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
As much as I love this passage, and I've used this passage many times, preached it at funerals, I missed verse 24. As the hope begins to ramp up and the joy begins to ramp up, here's what he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. What does that mean? The Lord is our inheritance. Jeremiah begins to call to mind that he has lost everything. It's gone. It's all gone. The walls are burnt down. The temple is destroyed. Houses are destroyed. People are dying on the streets from famine. People have been taken into slavery. Everything is gone. Everything that he worked for, everything that he hoped for, everything that he dreamed for. But in this moment, he remembered something that can never be taken away. The Lord is our inheritance. Here's what that means. You never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you got. That's another thing that Corey Tim Boom said. And if you don't know who she is, you need to look her up and go read some books about this lady. She lived in a concentration camp. She experienced the worst things that you can ever experience in the world. And yet here's what she said. You never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. So here's what Jeremiah is saying the same thing. Here's what he's saying. Listen, all the junk that we put our hope in, all the junk that we have our blood, sweat, and tears in, all that stuff fades, all of it gets broken, all of it can be taken away. The only thing that can is God. God cannot be taken away from us. Our inheritance cannot be destroyed. It does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. It doesn't matter if we lose everything here, we win. We win. We win because the greatest inheritance has been given to us. We have intimate, personal relationship with God. I love, he says, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope in him. We're going to jump ahead to verse 31 where he says something that's very powerful that we need to hear. The Lord will not reject forever. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And that hope that the Lord will not reject forever, that there's an end coming, that there's, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. You ever felt that way? You got so many bad things happen in your life and you start to see a light at the end of the tunnel and you start to think, well, it's a train. I'm going to get run over. No, here's the light at the end of the tunnel. The Lord will not reject forever. And he will have abundant compassion on you. The Lord will not reject forever for if he causes grief, he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. the Lord didn't reject his people. He rejected their sin. He rejected their idolatry. He rejected their false worship. Yeah, he rejected all of that stuff, but he didn't reject them because he held on to them. And it says, listen, the Lord will not reject you forever. Compassion is coming. Abundant compassion See, this is why we need to have hope because God is so different from us. 
I mean, really think about this. If you were God and people treated you the way the people of Israel treated him, what would you do? Oh, we love the stuff where he burns them down. Like that's, that's what we want to do. What do, we, what do we want to do to people in our life who betray us? People in our life who, you know, bring all sorts of pain and, and hurt and trouble into our life. What do we want to do? We want to burn them down. We say things like this. I want you to get what you deserve. Only God says, I don't want you to get what you deserve. I want you to get what you don't deserve. Me. I want you to get what you don't deserve. Compassion. I want you to get what you don't deserve, forgiveness. I want you to get what you don't deserve, healing. I want you to get what you don't deserve, hope. Listen, it doesn't matter how dark your life is right now. It doesn't matter if you feel like God has rejected you and doesn't hear your prayer. Remember, Jeremiah says that, my my prayer hits the ceiling. It's shut out from heaven. God doesn't hear me, but here, here he's praying to God still. And in the middle of prayer, here's what he says, but God, I know that you're not, it's not gonna be like this for long. I know it's not gonna be like this forever. I know you hear me. In fact, the next 15 verses, he says three different times, I called to you and you heard me. I called to you and you heard me. And I know you see from heaven. If he really believed that God rejected him forever, why is he still praying? The Lord does not afflict trouble on us from his heart. Look at verse 33. He does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush them. That afflict willingly means from the heart. This is where knowing who God is and knowing God's nature and his character and how God works really changes this perspective of our life. If something's going on in our life, we have to understand and we have to remember that that doesn't come from God's heart. That is not God's heart for us. He may allow it, yes. He may use it, yes. But we have to remember that he's not saying, I hate you, I don't love you, I reject you, and I'm going to punish you. If God wanted to punish us for all the things that we've done, he's had plenty of opportunity and plenty of time to do it, and he never would have sent Jesus. If God's heart was to punish, he's had plenty of time to do that. What is God's heart? Not to crush us. Not to crush us. He says, I call these things to mind and I have hope. He begins to repeat who God is and how God's worked in his life. And that momentum, that snowball of hope begins to build. What are some things that we can call to mind about God that will give us hope? Here's what Jeremiah tells us. I have hope because God is in control of my circumstances. I have hope because God is in control of my circumstances. He says, how can anything be done? Who can say anything? Who can do anything if the Lord has not allowed it? And the answer to that question is no one and nothing. Corey Ten Boom also says another great thing. She says, it's easy for us to trust an unknown future 
to a known God. It's easy for us to trust an unknown future to a known God. Why? Because we know him. We know him. We trust him. We know that everything is in his hand and everything is in his plan. And no matter what comes in my life, he's in absolute control over it. Here's something we need to remember. God is in absolute control of all things in our life, even when everything in our life is absolutely out of our control. And I don't know about you, but that's the safest and most wonderful thing that I've ever heard. God's in absolute control of everything in your life, even when everything in your life is absolutely out of your control. He says, I have hope because God will never reject me. I wish this was a message that we heard more behind the pulpit in churches and in in Sunday school and Bible study. Here's the thing. We have hope because God will never reject us. He rejected Jesus so he doesn't have to reject us. He rejected, he turned his back on Jesus on the cross when Jesus was covered in our sin and our shame. He turned his back on him so he never has to turn his back on us. I have hope because I will always be met with mercy and grace. I have hope. You can have hope. Jeremiah had hope because he understood he would always be met with mercy and grace. You wonder how is God going to respond to this and what is God going to do? Let me tell you what he's going to do and how he's going to respond. Mercy and grace. (laughs) Not giving you what you deserve and then giving you what you don't deserve. That's the definition of mercy and grace. Not getting what we do deserve and then getting what we don't deserve. So if you're wondering what God wants to do in your life, he wants to meet you with mercy and grace. And he wants to transform your situation. I have hope because God will always hear my prayer and answer. Even those moments when we feel like the prayers don't even get out of the room, even those moments when we feel like we can't even form a prayer on our lips, here's the thing we need to remember. God is praying for us. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit himself takes the groanings that are too deep for words that we can't even put together. The Spirit takes those things and he prays to God for us. 1 John chapter 2, Jesus is an intercessor for us. He is our advocate. He stands at the right hand of the Father and he prays for us. I have hope because no matter what situation I face and what situation you face, God will always hear your prayer and answer your prayer. Always. I have hope because God will always deliver me and rescue me. One of the saddest things that I have to admit to you is I have lived a lot of my Christian life not believing that. My fault, nobody else's fault. For some reason, all the guilt and the shame and the fear of God that I carried around, this misplaced fear of God, kept me from recognizing that God would always deliver me and that God would always rescue me. So I felt like that I was just stuck. I felt like Jeremiah, I'm trapped in a nightmare that I can't get out of. 
In fact, he says, God, you've walled me in with these massive stones and I can't go anywhere. Thankful. I'm thankful that God began to change my heart. And this is what I'm trying to do for you. As I began to read his word, I began to see God's heart. And here's God's heart. I will always deliver you. I will always rescue you. And it comes down to this question. When we say, well, wait, well, you just don't understand what I've done. And you don't know how many times I've done it. And, and, I, and I know that God's ashamed. And I know that God hates what I'm doing. And I know that God doesn't love me. Listen. If that was God's heart, why did Jesus die? Why? Why did Jesus go through the excruciating, humiliating, destructive death that he did if God's just going to let you go? See, that's the thing you have to answer. Why would God do what he did if we're just going to, he's just going to walk away from us and leave us in our mess? Here's the thing, it doesn't make sense. And even more than that, the thing you always need to go to when you're struggling with your circumstances, if God is willing to die for you, he's more than willing to deliver you and rescue you. In fact, that's exactly what he did when he died for you. He delivered you and he rescued you. So how should we apply this to our life? One, I think we need to do exactly what Jeremiah did. In those moments when our thoughts and feelings begin to take over, we need to stop and start telling ourselves and our feelings and our thoughts and our struggles who God is and what he does. In those moments when you're telling yourself that I can't be used by God and God doesn't love me, Romans 8.1 is a great verse to remember. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law couldn't do, Christ did. There's no condemnation. We need to start thinking about ourselves. We need to start taking a long, hard look at our life. He talks about that, doesn't he? As he begins to talk about who God is and what God does, look at what he says in verse 40. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. I don't know. I don't know where this idea came that taking a look at our life is a one-time thing. We hear something like this and we think salvation. That sounds a lot like salvation, returning to the Lord. Yeah, it is. That's just one step. What he's talking about is a lifestyle of looking at our life and always coming back to the Lord because here's the problem. We drift. We drift. We get fixated on the storm. We get caught up in our sin. We get pulled away by stuff in our life. And so here's the thing. We have a time every Sunday to allow you to stop, to look at yourself and return. It's called the invitation. We're going to do it in just a second. And for a lot of years in the church, I wouldn't move and I wouldn't go because I didn't need, I didn't need to ask Jesus to be my savior. Listen, we need to ask Jesus to save us a lot in our life. We need to get in the habit of understanding there is a one moment in our life when we need to say, I am a sinner and I need to be saved by grace. I am not your child. I want to be your child. I am dead. I want to be brought to life. We call that salvation. We call that new birth. 
But there needs to be this habit in our life where we constantly come to Jesus and say, save me. That's called confession and repentance. I say this all the time and I think, I think we just shrug it off. If we were serious, if we really got serious and took a hard look at our life every Sunday, all of us would be down here. We wouldn't be able to go to Sunday school. We wouldn't be able to go have a second service. We would just be here on our face before the Lord saying, save me. Save me from the mess that I've made. Save me from the consequences that have been brought in my life. Save me from the junk that's happening in my life. Save me. But what do we do? We sit and say, that's not for me. Can I just, can I just plead with you? Don't leave today. You don't have to walk back into your problems. You don't have to walk back into your mess. You don't have to walk back into your circumstances. You don't have to do that. Here's what you can do. You can get on your face before God and say, save me. And God will show up in your life and will deliver you. And you will walk out of here completely new. With power you never knew that you had. And a hope that doesn't disappoint. He says, return to the Lord. Lift up your heart and your hands. I think I would sum it all up with this. What are your eyes fixated on? Listen, I know that life happens. And I know that tough things happen. And I know for a lot of us, we came in here this morning fixated on something else. We're worried about stuff that happened last week. We're worried about stuff that's going to happen this week. We're worried about what's going to happen in our country. We're worried about what's happened in our world. We worry about all of these things. And we have so many struggles and so many fears and so many doubts. Can I give you some good news? Today's the day you can recognize that you can turn your eyes from that and you can turn your eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And when you do, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and I pray that you would just help us. Help us not miss this opportunity. Help us not miss this amazing and wonderful gift that you've given us to pour our heart out before you, to lift our heart and our hands and our circumstances to you and know that you hear our prayer and that you will answer our prayer and that you will rescue us, you will deliver us, you will make us new. Do not, do not let us leave back into the mess that we came. Father, help us to say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.